Hebrews chapter 8. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant which he is a mediator which he is mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. For there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant. No place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and ageing will soon disappear. If you're a Christian here this evening, would you say you enjoy being a Christian? Uh, If you're not a Christian, uh, you've just been invited along, you're checking it out, Uh, would you say that uh, Christians enjoy it? Uh, The fact that they follow Jesus. I ask the question because you can get the impression Uh, that the Christian life is pretty dreary. Uh, That is, it's it's not that enjoyable right now. And you you get this idea that what Christians are really waiting for is the payoff at the end. That's uh, really all that matters, that moment when your life ends uh, and you you trade in your church card for a ticket into heaven and that's when it will be worth it. But in the meantime, uh, it's pretty lousy. Uh, Well... Uh, this uh, incredibly dates me. Um, you may or may not rec- recognise this man. Wait, I'm going to turn this on. Uh, so this is Homer. Uh, 26 years ago, uh, there was an episode uh, in which Homer skips church and it's the greatest day of his life. Uh, he stays at home, he sleeps in, uh, makes himself waffles, finds a penny... And it's just the best day ever. And uh, he loves it and he realises that actually, you know, the the whole church thing has been frustrating for him. And I think it's an idea that's still out there, that Christianity is boring, it's a drag, and really Christians are just in it because it'll be worth it later on. Well, the letter to the Hebrews is written to people who aren't enjoying being Christians anymore. Uh, They're being persecuted. They're being excluded from their culture. They're just facing this hard slog of being outsiders. And they're thinking of giving up. 
just chucking it all in and going back to Judaism, fitting in with the world around them. And this letter to the Hebrews uh, wants to tell them that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything they could go back to. Uh, Better for eternity, for the future, yes, but better now. A better reality now in the present. And this passage, uh, Hebrews 8, is all about what Christ is doing right now to secure for his people a deeper, richer connection to God than is possible any other way. Uh, As we go through this chapter, it's going to give us... uh, the reason we have to enjoy the Christian life now, even and especially in the face of suffering and exclusion. Uh, so here it is, here's the, uh, the big point of Hebrews 8. Christ has a better ministry that secures a better relationship. A better ministry that secures a better relationship. And we're going to walk through this uh, chapter in those two parts, a better ministry and a better relationship. Uh, Firstly, we find that Christ has a better ministry and it all has to do with where he is. Did you notice that there, verse 1? Let's read it. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Where is Jesus now? Well, he's with God, sitting at his right hand. And uh, that sitting isn't the way that I sit. When I sit down at the end of the day, it's more of a flop on the couch. I try and gather enough energy to go from there to my bed. Uh, But it's not that kind of sitting down. This is an enthronement. God is installing Jesus in his most powerful position at his right hand with all his authority. It's like, uh, imagine you ran a social action group, the, the banned mobile phones group or the multicoloured crosswalks association. Uh, you're just sick of the black and white. You want some colour in your life. Imagine you're, you're part of this group and your chairman all of a sudden gets hired by the prime minister, goes straight to being the chief of staff. Uh, Imagine that. Imagine all the things you could get done, all the multicoloured crosswalks that you could uh, get approved if you had your man at the right spot. Well, Jesus isn't just uh, hired at random. Uh, He's installed by God. Now, why does that matter for us? Uh, Well, because he sits down uh, right there in the perfect spot as our high priest. That's his ministry. Verse 1, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. A better ministry because he's in the true location. Right now, serving in the sanctuary, He has a better ministry than the Old Testament priests uh, and he's doing it now. He's serving as our high priest. Uh, The Old Testament priests did their work in the tabernacle but Jesus does his work in heaven itself, the true tabernacle. Uh, The tabernacle that it's referring to is is the tent that uh, God told Moses to set up once he'd rescued them from Egypt 
And for Israel, the tabernacle was everything. That was, it was meant to sit in the centre of their camp and it was the centre of their lives. It was where they went to worship and to pray, uh, to give their offerings to God. And God had given them these precise measurements uh, so that it would be perfect. But according to Hebrews, uh, that was just something that pointed to the reality. Have a look at verse 5. It says there, they, the Old Testament priests, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. A copy and a shadow. Now, it's worth thinking about that for a moment. It's, it's a copy. Uh, for example, here is a picture of Monet's water lilies for or one of the water lily series. Um, for people who are cultured among you, you will have identified that. Uh, and here is a picture, uh, the same. Uh, this is by Lara, and who's eight. Um, and you can tell they're similar, right? But you can tell which one is the copy. Uh, the copy is uh, not as good. And the true painting comes first. You have to have the real thing before you can have a copy. It's a, it's a copy and a shadow. We're told the tabernacle is just a shadow. Uh, heaven is the reality of God's presence. Uh, the tabernacle is just a flat outline, a bit like this. Uh, a shadow can't even exist without the real thing being there. But that doesn't mean that it's pointless. A shadow can tell you what's happening. You know what is going on in this picture, don't you? You can tell from the shadow, but just no colour, no substance to it. And that's what the Old Testament priesthood was like. It gives us this weak and second-hand picture of the reality. But it still tells you what's going on with priests. And so if Jesus is the high priest, our true high priest, serving in the true location... Uh, well, what's he doing? Uh, he'll be doing the real thing of which uh, the Old Testament priests were just a shadow. And what the Old Testament priests were doing was offering sacrifices. They were mediating between God and people. Uh, they were securing Israel's relationship to God. And that is what Jesus does. He serves right now, securing our relationship to God because he is there offering a sacrifice as well. Uh, look at verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. Uh, so Jesus, serving right now as our high priest, he needs something to offer as well. The earthly priests offered a poor copy. They brought a goat or a lamb. But Jesus brings the sacrifice of himself, the true offering. The true offering. Back in Hebrews chapter 7, we're told that he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. What chapter 7 tells us is that Jesus' uh, sacrifice, his death was a one-off. He doesn't have to keep doing it over and over again. But his priestly work isn't a once-off. He never stops uh, serving at God's right hand 
pointing back to that one complete sacrifice of himself that secures our relationship with him. And we need a priest there doing that uh, because our sin destroys our relationship with God, puts distance between us. And Jesus, as the priest, acts as our mediator, the go-between, so that we can approach God. We can't approach on our own, but Jesus can. And that's what he's doing. That is his better ministry, to secure our relationship with God because he sits at God's right hand and he's already made the perfect, once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Christ has a better ministry that secures a better relationship. So, part one, the better ministry, that's what he's doing now, uh, and it secures a better relationship. That's what the passage goes on to say in verse 6. Have a look at that. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the covenant is established on better promises. Uh, Alan Chappell, a New Testament lecturer uh, where I studied at Bible College, um, he explains that a covenant uh, is promises that create a relationship. Promises that create a relationship. So, uh, just like a wedding, that's the classic example. A bride and groom, they make promises to each other uh, and uh, it forms a new relationship. They, they walk out of their husband and wife and they weren't when they walked in. And so, uh, this covenant is, is this relationship that's formed based on these promises and we're told that this covenant has better promises and so it creates a better relationship with God than was ever possible under the old covenant. And Jesus, as our high priest, is the mediator. He's the one that makes that covenant possible. So what are these better promises? Uh, Well, uh, to explain, the writer of Hebrews goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to Jeremiah chapter 31 uh, and you see it there in the second half of that chapter, this uh, extended quote from Jeremiah 31, where the prophet looks ahead to this uh, new covenant and he says it'll be better. It'll be better mostly uh, because it won't break. That was the problem with the first one. Have a look, verse 9. He says, It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Uh, The first covenant that God made with his people was amazing. Uh, He rescued them from from Egypt with these miracles, and he uh, he gave them his law and made them his special people, uh, but it didn't work. It didn't work, because they didn't keep their end of the deal. And so the covenant was broken, and God had to abandon them. And the very fact that God spoke of a new covenant through Jeremiah tells you that the old covenant didn't work. Uh, It's like the Perth Stadium. Uh, The very fact that we spent $1.6 billion uh, building this new stadium tells you everything you need to know about the state of Subi Oval. Uh, it's, It's not that good. 
it doesn't work anymore. And so the presence of a new one tells you that something better was needed. So, uh, what is better about this new covenant? Well, uh, three things that I want to draw out for us. Uh, Firstly, it's on people's hearts. It's a better relationship because it gives true obedience. Have a look at verse 10. Uh, This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Uh, That was always the intention, in fact. Uh, Israel were always meant to uh, love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and strength. That's what Deuteronomy says. Always the intention. But it wasn't the reality. They didn't do that because the written law was something that they, they couldn't ever get into their hearts. They could memorise it, but they couldn't internalise it. They couldn't want what God wanted. And so God makes a new promise, a better promise, that this new covenant would put his law into people's hearts, the promise of true obedience. But what about the fact that uh, new covenant people still sin? Uh, just like under the Old Covenant. Surely that means that we don't really have uh, the law on our hearts, if that's the case. Well, that would be right, except for the fact that we have Jesus as our High Priest. And Jesus perfectly held God's law in his heart. And so the law is written on our hearts as we live in him by his spirit, by faith. Because Jesus is our high priest now, our mediator, uh, Jesus makes uh, that promise a reality. He puts the law in our hearts as we live by the spirit, as we uh, live by faith in Christ. True obedience. Uh, Secondly, true intimacy. This new covenant promises that God's people will know him. True intimacy. Verse 10, again, towards the end. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from from the least of them to the greatest. Now that might seem obvious, know the Lord, Uh, But the truth was that Israel were always forgetting the Lord. They kept on doing that. Even in the time of Jeremiah, you have this situation uh, where King Josiah uh, accidentally, kind of inadvertently, finds the scrolls of the law and they kind of dust them off and they think, what are these? We should read them. It's like, how did that happen? They uh, were constantly forgetting God. And so this new covenant promises a personal experience of God, that they would know him as their God, not some abstract uh, concept that's out there in philosophy, but as their creator, as their king, their loving father. And again, it's Jesus as our high priest that makes this possible. He's the mediator at God's right hand, And so, he can send God's Spirit to us so that we can know him. 
so that we can hear his word and believe it. And uh, because he's there at the right hand of the Father, we can pray to him. Uh, Have that intimate relationship with God as our Father. And that can't happen without a mediator. We're not fit to go before the perfect holy God and grab the Spirit by ourselves. We need a priest there who can offer the perfect sacrifice to secure that privilege for us. Thirdly, the new covenant is built on the better promise of true forgiveness. Verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This covenant relationship is better because God will forgive. And that's the logic there in the for. Uh, Because God will forgive, the rest of these promises are possible. Uh, The law can be in their hearts, true obedience, because uh, our priest is there winning forgiveness. And we can know him, true intimacy, because of the true forgiveness that Jesus gives. And so it's Christ's high priesthood that makes this possible. Uh, One, first of all, at the cross, but then each day as he stands before the Father... He secures forgiveness for every sin by pointing back to what his death has already achieved. Christ has a better ministry that secures a better relationship. So, how do we apply this passage? Well, in two main ways that I want to draw out. Uh, Firstly, in how we approach the Old Testament. Uh, This passage has a lot to say in how we approach the Old Testament. This is one of the key passages uh, for understanding how we we think about the the law and the temple and uh, the priests and all this kind of stuff that we read about in the Old Testament. This passage says that they are patterns. So they can help us to understand the reality better uh, as as we look at them, as we think about them. So if you're reading through Hebrews and you hear all this stuff about high priesthoods and sacrifices and all this stuff and you think, I'm not really getting this. Well, uh, one thing to do is to go back and read the Old Testament to understand more of uh, the patterns so that we can recognise who Jesus is when he comes as the reality. Understanding the the shadow will help us appreciate uh, the colour and the reality of Christ. Uh, So, firstly, approaching the Old Testament as a pattern, uh, but also remembering that it's obsolete. Uh, That is, the New Covenant means the old is passing. No one wants to go back and watch the footy at Subi anymore. Uh, There's a new uh, footy oval. And so our focus and our faith needs to be on Christ. We need to look at him and what he's done and remember that the old is obsolete and don't go back there to try and revive the Old Testament laws or the experience that they had with the, the, the priests and all that kind of stuff. So this passage has a lot to say about how we approach the Old Testament uh, and secondly, has a lot to say about how we approach God. That is, it must be through Christ as the mediator. Uh, There is no one else to go through if we want to approach God. Uh, 
Don't go looking for God through some desert retreat or some silent pilgrimage. Uh, Don't think that you'll find God in the hearts of the people around you who you love, the way that the movies will tell you to do. Uh, We don't uh, approach God through some celebrity pastor or uh, someone else. No, we approach God through our mediator, Christ, who is at God's right hand, serving in the true tabernacle. And we approach him, uh, we approach God through Christ and with joy, uh, with daily confidence, because we know that right now Jesus is interceding for us. He's there making sure that our end of the covenant is secure because he's always pointing to his perfect sacrifice. And so no matter what you've done, if you are trusting in Jesus, you do not stand guilty before God because of Jesus. And I think that gives us permission uh, to enjoy our relationship with God Uh, because Christ is there and uh, God's Spirit is with us because of what uh, Jesus is doing as our High Priest And Hebrews says it's a better relationship, it's a better covenant relationship than we could ever have and it's ours to enjoy. Now the Christian life won't always uh, be smooth sailing, it won't be peaches and cream Um, and there will be times when we'll face rejection or hardship, um, pressure from our family and friends Uh, but that's when we need to look at the reality of Jesus what he's doing for us now as our high priest. He's securing that intimate relationship with our Father, providing forgiveness for every day and causing us to know him and to uh, live for him in true obedience. There is so much to enjoy right now because of what Jesus has done. So how do we express that joy? Uh, there's lots of ways. Um, I hope that there is some kind of emotional reaction, that actually this is a joyous thing, to know these truths uh, and to express that emotionally. You might want to shout for joy, uh, dance, whatever. Uh, But as you read on in Hebrews, uh, what does Hebrews say uh, follows from this? If Jesus is our high priest and he's secured uh, this amazing relationship for us, Uh, What does Hebrews go on to say we should do? Uh, Well, it says things like, meet together. It says, uh, keep trusting Jesus, even when it's tough. It says, look out for uh, ways to encourage each other, to stick with Jesus, to give encouragement, uh, to look out for one another, to keep on meeting together. According to the rest of Hebrews, that is how you express the joy we have in the better relationship that Jesus is securing for us. Uh, This series in Hebrews, we're working through uh, gradually uh, over time um, and the next time we come back to Hebrews will be in about six months and I suspect you won't remember uh, this sermon by then. Uh, So why don't you uh, go away from chapter 9, read through the rest of the book of Hebrews. There's only 13 chapters, so you're really close. Uh, See how it fleshes out how you respond to this truth about the priesthood of Jesus, all that he's done to secure a better relationship.
with God for us, his people.